the Kronos Quartet, performing music by a frequent collaborator and perhaps the composer with whom they are the most closely associated, Terry Riley. Here, the quartet has also been augmented by the Chinese instrument, the pipa, kind of the Chinese version of the Western lute, and is performed wonderfully by Wu Man. It's called Cusp of Magic, and the movement is Emily and Alice. I chose this piece to open the program because I think it's really indicative of so many elements of Terry Riley's mature compositional style. First of all, we're hearing this exotic sound. We're not hearing Western classical music. This is not music from the Western tradition. We're hearing Chinese and Indian influences. Secondly, I think it sounds improvisational, and perhaps it is. Improvisation has always been important to Riley from the very beginning, all the way up to the works that he's writing, or rather improvising, now. And third, there's also the presence of that tape piece. Of course, tape loops were the early part of Riley's career and one of the great innovations that he made as a young composer. And we're also hearing in those tape loops repeated cells, which is also very important to his music. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. On today's program, I'm celebrating the 80th birthday of Terry Riley, and I'm going to try and do an overview of his career, which is something I don't do very often on the program. Usually we'll focus on one part of a composer's career, but here, because he's had such a varied career and such an incredible influence on so many musicians, I mean, from pop musicians to jazz musicians, classical musicians, everything in between, it's no overstatement to say that he's influenced almost every musician that you might hear today, whether they know it or not. But there were also many musicians, of course, who influenced Terry Riley, one of whom was Bartok. I read an interview where Terry Riley said that the Bartok quartets were very influential and that he would listen to them for hours at a time. But he never says that he studied the scores, and somehow I just don't see Terry Riley as one of the composers who would pour over another composer's scores and get real analytical and talk about the notation and get excited about that. He's just not all that interested in notation in general. And so it's no surprise to me, at least, that his early pieces are tape loops. And in fact, he's one of the great pioneers in what was a relatively new technology at that time, tape looping. So I'm going to play part of a piece here featuring the Chet Baker Quartet. He met Chet Baker in the early 60s when he was traveling through Europe, also working with theater companies and doing all kinds of experimental things. The piece is called The Gift. I'm going to drop the needle here where you'll clearly hear the tape manipulation. The Chet Baker Quartet from 1963. Thank you. 
That's an early tape loop piece by Terry Riley called The Gift. He's doing tape manipulation of a performance there by the Chet Baker Quartet. Somewhere in 1963-1964 in Europe, Riley was traveling in Europe at this time where he was working with a lot of top musicians, including, incredibly in my mind, Chet Baker. It's no surprise to me again that tape loops were an early part of Riley's development as a composer. He just wasn't super interested in notation. And here was this new technology where you could splice together analog tape and create these wonderful sonic melanges of existing sound. Also, tape loops were very important to the early minimalist composers like Steve Reich, Philip Glass, and of course, Terry Riley, who is often credited as the father of minimalism. And this is because of the seminal piece from 1964, In C, which I'm going to feature now. After Riley returned to San Francisco from Europe, he got very interested in this idea of composing a piece that would have minimal notation. In fact, In C can fit on one piece of paper. It would be comprised of little individual cells, in this case, 53 cells, that could be repeated as many times as the individual performers wanted to repeat them. So there's an improvisational aspect to the piece as well, and it can be played by any number of performers. The early iterations of this piece are absolutely legendary. If you can imagine people like Steve Reich, Pauline Oliveris, Morton Sabotnik, of course, Terry Riley himself in a room trying to make sense of these 53 cells. And supposedly it didn't go all that well. In fact, I read an interview with Steve Reich where he said, this is a mess, this isn't working. And then apparently his girlfriend at the time decided to start playing repeated C's in the high end of the piano. And that steady beat allowed them all to play together. And so it became part of the piece. There are so many recordings of NC that I could choose from. I mean, the piece is so important. It's been recorded so many times, and it ranges in length from 20 minutes all the way up to 70-plus minutes. Again, it's a variable-length piece. But I've chosen what I think is an important recording, and that's Terry Riley himself as the leader and saxophonist, performing with members of the Center of the Creative and Performing Arts in the State University of New York at Buffalo. Let's hear an excerpt of this seminal piece, NC, by Terry Riley.
That's an excerpt of NC by Terry Riley, but as I said, there are so many versions of this piece. The music itself is so fluid. While the instructions for the piece all fit on one sheet of note paper, the piece can be as long or as short as the performers want. It's very experimental in that way, very improvisational, and it's also what Steve Reich called pattern music, which would of course become so influential to so many composers. But because there are so many different recordings of this piece, and because no two performances will ever be the same, I just want to quickly play another iteration of the piece. Here is Terry Riley again performing, but this is a live concert celebrating the 25th anniversary of the piece. He's performing with musicians from the San Francisco area. Notice that the tempo is a lot slower here. Again, the composer himself has no problem with that. The piece is meant to be different every time it's performed. Here's just a little bit of another iteration of NC. Just one more version of NC by Terry Riley. Again, there are so many versions of this piece that exist. It has been performed countless times all over the world. It has had such a huge influence. In fact, in 1968, it was released on Columbia Masterworks, a major label mostly known for pop music. But here they are delving into experimental classical music. And so Riley was at the height of his fame with this new kind of music, what Steve Reich called pattern music, that would go on to basically create the American minimalist movement and influence musicians on the pop side of the spectrum on the classical side, musicians of all kind. In fact, the composer David Lang, who's very influential himself, has said that NC was, for his generation of composers, exactly what the Rite of Spring was for Stravinsky's generation of composers. That's high praise indeed. Well, the album NC was so popular that Columbia Masterworks actually returned to Terry Riley and asked him to make another album. This is so incredible to me, again, that they're talking to a composer, performer, big in experimental music, about making albums for a label mostly known for pop music, but it's also, I think, indicative of the kind of composer that Terry Riley was. Here he is, about 29 years old. He is not notating his music for other ensembles to play, like almost every other composer he would have known at this time. That's not what he's interested in doing. He's much more interested in the oral tradition and fusing the music that he's listening to, Indian ragas, jazz music, all these things, into the Western classical tradition. He won't get interested in notation until later. So it's so important to me that he had these wonderful opportunities to work with Columbia Masterworks and to create the audio recordings that he was envisioning that would allow him to be the composer that he is. 
The album A Rainbow and Curved Air features Terry Riley himself on piano and percussion, and then using the tape loop technique, he is overdubbing himself quite frequently. Let's hear an excerpt of A Rainbow and Curved Air featuring Terry Riley.
That's music performed by, composed by, although of course using his non-notational compositional technique, and produced by Terry Riley. An album called The Rainbow and Curved Air. This came out in 1969 on the Columbia Records Masterworks series. Again, this is just so incredible to me as a composer and as somebody in the so-called classical music tradition that here you have another composer revered in the classical music tradition who's actually putting out albums under his own name. And not only that, but people were buying them in the late 60s, an absolutely incredible time. And it's just so amazing to me to see these albums. And there's this picture on the front. They had a jacket designer. They had all the things that you think of for a rock album. But it's a composer. Of course, at that time, I think more of an improviser, but somebody who would become a composer and who is very much revered by composers and those of us in the classical music tradition. What an incredible time the late 60s were. And again, it's so important to remember that he's making albums, not scores. This is very, very important. He's so influenced by world music and by jazz. And I really think that Terry Riley, more than almost any other figure, except perhaps John Cage, was instrumental in bringing these outside musical traditions into the classical music tradition and inspiring other composers to use Indian music, jazz music, music from around the world. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. On today's program, I'm celebrating the 80th birthday of seminal composer, pianist, improviser, so many things, Terry Riley. To subscribe to our podcast or for streaming versions of this or all previous episodes, you can visit relevanttones.com. I'm celebrating the 80th birthday today of Terry Riley, this incredibly seminal composer and performer who, more than almost anyone else, I think, really did a lot to redefine how we think about classical music. Perhaps only John Cage went further than Terry Riley. But I think Terry Riley, in many ways, was more successful at bringing extra Western musical traditions into classical music. Think about Indian music, the use of jazz. He's so successfully brought into our tradition, of course, improvisation. Almost more than anyone else, Terry Riley is one of the reasons why we've been asking these last 30 years or so, what is classical music in the modern era? Is there one thing that we can call classical music? And perhaps there isn't, and perhaps that's a great thing. I think we have Terry Riley to thank for that. In the early 1970s, Terry Riley would take the first of what would become many trips to India, and Indian music would become one of the great and long-lasting influences on his music. I want to play a piece called Shri Camel by Terry Riley, in which you can clearly hear the Indian influence. But first, let's play just a little bit of a piece by Pandit Pran Nath, so you can hear this music that so captivated the young Terry Riley. Mm-hmm. 
music of the Hindustani vocalist and musician Pandit Pran Nath, a mentor and major influence on Terry Riley. He's performing Indian vocal music. We're hearing all the common elements here, the opening exposition of the raga or the scale, just to kind of give you a sense of the sound world that you're going to hear. And then when the tabla begins, the more structured part of the piece begins with those measured rhythmic elements in the tabla. All of this was very influential, including the scales and tunings that they used on Terry Riley. I'm going to play a piece now from Riley's album, Shri Camel, from 1980. The piece is called Anthem of the Trinity, and the influence of Hindustani music is unmistakable here. Riley is performing on a Yamaha combo organ, which he has tuned in just intonation. And kind of an interesting fact, this organ part influenced Pete Townsend's song, Won't Get Fooled Again. It's unmistakable if you put the two next to each other. At any rate, though, here is Terry Riley performing Anthem of the Trinity from Shri Camel. Thank you. 
Music from 1980, Shri Camel. We heard the piece Anthem of the Trinity, performed on the organ by Terry Riley himself. I'm celebrating the 80th birthday of this pioneer, Terry Riley, today on Relevant Tones. He's influenced so many composers, and yet here we are more than halfway through the program, and we haven't heard one piece that was actually notated. Almost everything has been improvised or just written out in his head, or in the case of NC, it's more a set of instructions than actual musical notation. Terry Riley would not actually start really notating music until 1978 when he met the violinist and founder of Kronos Quartet, David Harrington, who was teaching at Mills College, where Riley was also teaching at that time. Mills College is one of those interesting liberal arts colleges that, though small, have spawned an impressive roster of innovative names. For example, it is the place where Darius Millot taught Dave Brubeck. So here we have a place already where different musical traditions are coming together, a perfect place for someone like Terry Riley to meet David Harrington. The Kronos Quartet would become enormously important to Terry Riley, one of his greatest champions over the years. They commissioned more than 20 works. First work dates back to 1980, but I want to jump ahead a little bit in time to 1989 and an interesting, huge piece that Terry Riley wrote for Kronos called Salome Dances for Peace. The concept behind this piece is rather interesting. Here he's taken the Salome of biblical legend, who we all know, but here she is using her seductive powers for good, in fact, to create world peace. And so she's interacting with a variety of different mythological traditions, including the Native American mythological tradition. The piece is divided into five overall sections. We're going to hear two movements from section one, Anthem of the Great Spirit. We're going to hear Fanfare in the Minimal Kingdom. And from section two, Conquest of the War Demons, we're going to hear Combat Dance. Here's the Kronos Quartet to perform music of Terry Riley.
Two Movements from Salome Dances for Peace by Terry Riley, performed by the Kronos Quartet, the organization that commissioned it. From Section 1, Anthem of the Great Spirit, we heard Fanfare in the Minimal Kingdom. And from Section 2, Conquest of the War Demons, we heard Combat Dance. Again, quite an interesting story behind this piece. Terry Riley has imagined, or reimagined, if you will, Salome using her powers for good instead of evil. In fact, to bring about world peace and interacting with Native American mythological culture. This piece, I think, exemplifies so many things in Terry Riley. Again, he's returned to notated music here, which is somewhat unusual after he had such a successful career as an improviser, but I don't think he could have worked with just any ensemble. It had to take an adventurous ensemble like the Kronos Quartet, because although he has returned to notated music, we're still hearing a lot of the classic Riley-isms. There's a lot of improvisation, a lot of repeated cells, a lot of influence from other musical traditions, and so not just any string quartet would be willing to do this. It took a lot of give and take on both sides, but what a remarkably fruitful relationship over the 30-some years that they've worked together. Which brings me to this wonderful quote by the founder and artistic director of Kronos, David Harrington, about Terry Riley. There is no other composer who has added so many new musical words to our vocabulary, words from so many corners of the musical world. In a crazed world laced with violence and destruction, he has consistently been a force for peace. Through his gentle leadership, a path forward has emerged. Terry sets the standard for what it means to be a musician in our time. Again, that's David Harrington talking about this meaningful relationship between the Kronos Quartet and composer Terry Riley. And Kronos Quartet has recently released a box set, One Earth, One People, One Love. Kronos plays Terry Riley. This is the most complete compilation of Riley's quartet music that has been released to date. I want to play something from this upcoming release. This is called Requiem for Adam. The Requiem here is for Adam Harrington, the son of David Harrington, who passed away only at the age of 16. I think this is emblematic of the close relationship between the composer and the ensemble, especially David Harrington. Let's have a listen to the third movement, Requiem for Adam, by Terry Riley, performed by the Kronos Quartet.
Music composed by Terry Riley upon the occasion of the death of the son of the founder and artistic director of Kronos Quartet, David Harrington. The piece is called Requiem for Adam. Again, I think it's a piece that's very emblematic of this close relationship between the Kronos Quartet and the composer Terry Riley. This is on this new box set that just came out called One Earth, One People, One Love. Kronos plays Terry Riley, the most complete compilation of Riley's string quartets in one place that's been released to date. Well, we've heard Terry Riley in so many roles on today's program, a kind of rock star with his own albums on the Columbia Masterworks label in the 1960s. No notation at all through the 70s until he meets David Harrington and the Kronos Quartet and this wonderfully fruitful relationship with the Kronos Quartet, music inspired by India, by all around the world. But I want to return in the last few moments of the program to Riley stripped away at the solo piano as an improviser because I really think this is at the heart of everything that he does as a musician. This is a wonderful album called Lisbon Concert, live from Lisbon, Portugal. The piece is called Havana Man. You can really hear the influence of one of his piano heroes, Bill Evans, in this beautiful improvisation. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders, with special thanks to Christina Elsner. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, to subscribe to our podcast, and for streaming versions of all previous episodes, you can visit us at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible in part by the generous support of GCM Grubner, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, the Amphion Foundation, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. I'm Seth Bostead, and this is the WFMT Radio Network.